Elvis. Dear Young Rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis Productions. Dear Young Rocker, welcome to middle school. I am so sorry that you have to go through this, particularly for the huge drop in self-esteem that hits kids at your age, especially girls. Plus, just how straight-up weird everyone acts toward each other in middle school. Unfortunately, it's technically natural and normal, and I promise that after middle school, most people gradually become less confusing and difficult to interact with as they get older. But although I am glad I never have to experience the singular horror of a middle school lunchroom ever again, I do truly envy where you are for one reason. You're about to fall in love hard. This is a love that will last you a lifetime, a love that will always be there for you, no matter who else is or isn't, and will bring you comfort through heartaches, career failures, grief, lost friendships, and all the other problems that wait for you on the other side of middle school. But nothing beats the rush of love at first sight, of opening up that box and plucking that very first note on your first base. I'm kind of tearing up just thinking about how much I love that Silver Squire. And that reminds me, I really need to get her back from that ex of mine. P.S. Young Rocker, your fingers hurt so bad when you play because that old guitar you got from your grandpa has incredibly high string tension. But those strong finger muscles are going to make you a truly excellent bass player. sit down on the fancy couch in the nice living room, the one with the fireplace and no TV. I pick up the super old Harmony acoustic guitar I got for my birthday and put it on my lap. It smells like old books, and it's yellow on the front and dark brown on the back. I've seen acoustic guitars before, but never one like this. I run my finger around the headstock part. It's a cool curvy shape, more like on an electric guitar. The first time I picked it up and looked down at the strings, I didn't know how I'd ever figure out how to play anything at all. But somehow I knew I would because I wanted to so bad. My dad didn't want to get me a brand new guitar when I asked for one in case I didn't stick with it. This one was sitting around my grandparents' house. I put the tab printouts with all the numbers and X's and dashes on the coffee table in front of me. I found this website that has all the tabs to all the Smashing Pumpkin songs ever, and I have the whole long URL memorized. Tabs are way easier than the music book that I got with a guitar. Once you know how to put your finger down and pluck a note, you can figure out a whole song. I see that I have to play the 11th fret on the top string. I count up to it and pluck the note. Okay, the next one is one string down on the 11th fret. I try those two in a row. It's kind of like the game Simon. You have to remember the pattern. I keep trying it, and after a while, I can play the beginning notes of a song.
It's harder when there's multiple numbers at once, which means a chord. If I just find one note at a time and try my fingers in different combinations, I can get them eventually. After an hour, I look at my fingertips. They're black and blue with a deep line in the middle from the strings, like I split them open. It's funny, I never notice how bad they hurt when I'm playing, only when I stop. I kind of like the big calluses on my fingertips. It's something to pick at when I'm in school. Seventh grade sucks. I always knew I liked music more than other people do. I remember being really little, sitting in the backseat of my mom's car with a radio playing and looking out the window up at the trees. Sometimes a song would make me have these super strong feelings that I'd never felt before in real life. It wasn't the lyrics, but the music that made me feel that way. The rhythm and the chords. I didn't have to know what the song was about, even. Sometimes classical music with no words at all moved me the most. Even if it was a sad feeling, I longed for more of it. It felt like some kind of craving for someone or some place, like I had a past life I could almost remember when I heard the music, but it disappeared as soon as I stopped listening. I still didn't know how to play anything yet when I started sixth grade, and we had to sign up for either choir or band or this music survey class. My parents said I should do choir because I could go on school trips and stuff, and they wouldn't have to buy me an instrument. I did it for a while, but I didn't like it very much. It was all girls, and they all wanted to be a star and sing in this stupid high-pitched voice along to these cheesy songs from musicals. Watching these girls made me want to throw up. I purposely sang as low as I could. Oh, see, can you see? And the dumb choir lady gave me weird looks. I knew I needed to get out of there, so I switched to the music class halfway through the year. I called it music for dummies because all we did was read from a boring textbook and then put on headphones and play around with the keyboards. That fall, I also went to field hockey tryouts, even though I didn't know what field hockey really was. But I knew I was in when I learned I could be the goalie and strap these huge pads on my body and put on a helmet so no one could see me. I could become this big monster who dove on the ground and destroyed the dreams of girls trying to score a goal. I got to be mostly invisible, but become the hero a few times during the game. Nice save, goalie! Perfect. I feel invincible inside my goalie pads. The rock-hard ball comes flying at my chest and my arms and legs, and I love the feeling of not being afraid and standing straight up as it smacks my body. I also love the rule that the goalie is the only one who can touch other players. I can push girls out of the way if they're getting too close to my goal and kick their sticks so hard they trip. Get out of my goal! It feels good to be a big monster. It's a pretty good release for the angry feeling I always have. But still, nothing's as good as loud music. At my birthday party that year, I got the Linkin Park CD I'd asked for. Someone else gave me Now That's What I Call Music, which I didn't really want and thought was cheesy pop stuff. I played both at the party in my basement, which is kind of like my own apartment, Everyone danced to Britney Spears and Backstreet Boys on the Now CD. No one really liked the Linkin Park except me. It's a metal band and everyone thought it was too loud. 
And even though now that I've found real rock music, so I'm embarrassed I ever owned a Linkin Park CD, at the time I liked the lyrics about feeling angry, and it was the heaviest guitar riffs I'd ever heard. I like that sound because it felt like my insides, which are always ready to explode. Sometimes after I got that album, I walked out to the edge of the woods in the backyard with my CD player and closed my eyes. I stood there not caring how cold I got. It felt like I was screaming through the singer, and my anger was making the guitar riffs instead of just making me sick like it usually did. I breathed the sound in and out. That birthday party was six people, and it was the last one I ever had. They're sort of misfits, kind of awkward girls that yell dorky movie quotes in the cafeteria and act like little kids, even though we're in middle school now. Our lunch table spot was next to some of the popular boys who would stare whenever one of the girls in my group started singing or yelling or just laughing way too loud in a really nerdy way. One of them was already six feet tall, and she was the loudest. She really belted it out. Now he's alive with the sound of music. Another in the group was my best friend, Colby. She also dressed in baggy boys' clothes. Teachers mixed us up sometimes, but she acted nuts, too. She would fall off the table backwards when she was laughing, and I stared at the peanut butter and chocolate chip sandwich she ate every day all smushed up in her braces. One time after lunch, when we were walking down the stairs to class, she ran down full speed with her baggy pants and long hair flapping behind her and crashed spread eagle into the wall at the bottom. And then fell over backwards, stiff as a board, like a cartoon, and people had to step over her. I wanted to die and ran to my classroom, pretending I hadn't seen it. I prayed, please God, let no one associate that with me. At lunch, I'd put my sweatshirt hood on and put my head down on the table to show the normal kids I wasn't part of all these antics. I tried to see, without turning my head, if we were getting looked at by the kids next to us. And we always were. Being looked at that way was the worst feeling in the entire world. I hated the other girls for making me look so stupid. So I stopped sitting with them, but I still hung out with Colby after school when it didn't matter how dorky we were. We'd been best friends since second grade, after all. She'd moved to the circle we lived on after first grade. The first time she saw me, I was playing with model airplanes in the front yard with my dad. I had a short haircut and was wearing my karate uniform. Hi-ya! She thought I was a boy. The first time I saw her, she was riding around on her scooter wearing a vest that flapped open in the breeze with no shirt underneath. So I thought she might be a boy, too. I guess we were friends because we were both different, sort of weirdos. But I really wanted to be the cool kind of different, and Colby didn't care about being a huge dork. Although, I didn't either when no one was looking. We spent hours after school and almost all summer in the woods behind my house. We walked down to the stream where a giant old tree had been hit by lightning and cracked in the middle. The top half was bent over at a right angle and made this awesome bridge we could walk over... It was our Narnia or Terabithia or whatever, and we made up stories about what might be in the woods. There were big piles of rocks, and I thought they might be Indian burial grounds. Sometimes we played chariot. I'd get in a wheelbarrow and hold one end of a rope ladder, and Colby would put the other end around her waist and drive me around. 
I really hope no one ever saw that. Colby's who I started my first band with. I don't really want to call it a band because it was just us playing three chords on bass and guitar and yelling in my bedroom. Stuff like... But it was good because I at least was playing with someone else. I wouldn't have even started playing anything, though, if it weren't for the Smashing Pumpkins. So the summer after sixth grade, my mom took me to this music store called Jelly's. I felt really overwhelmed looking around at the thousands of used CDs. It was way bigger than the CD store in the mall. My mom told me to pick out one thing for myself, and I went to look around. I didn't really know too many band names off the top of my head, but I didn't want to look like uncool, so I pretended to know what I was doing and flipped through the CDs. Eventually I got to the S's and stopped at the Smashing Pumpkins. I said it aloud to myself, Smashing Pumpkins. And I liked how the words had a pop and a smush, just like it sounds to smash a pumpkin. I knew I had heard their songs on the radio, even though I didn't know what any of them were called. Standing there, the smell of stale cigarettes came into my mind, and I suddenly remembered being like eight or nine and standing in the kitchen at Joanna's dad's house. She was my best friend when I was really little, and her dad smoked inside a lot. Her cool older sister was there and asked me what my favorite band was. I said Smashing Pumpkins, because it was the only band name that came into my mind, and I don't even know how I knew it. I just knew it was a cool band teenagers liked, and I wanted to be cool already, even at eight. Maybe she was even the one that told me about them. I don't know, but when I saw that name at Jelly's, I decided I'd give it a listen. I picked a CD that had two little girls on the cover and a heart. It was called Siamese Stream. Siamese Stream. Another nice-sounding name. It felt like it was meant to be. When we got to the counter, my mom asked me, why do you want that? I just want it, I said. Back home, I put the CD in my perfectly round CD player and put on my headphones. I hadn't heard music like it before. I skipped through each track and they were all the same to me, just loud guitars or quiet guitars. There wasn't any catchy melodies right in the first few seconds of the songs, like Blink-182 or the other CDs I had. Sometimes the singing didn't even come in for a few minutes. I didn't think I'd listen to it again. Fast forward to the beginning of seventh grade, though, and I'm obsessed with the Smashing Pumpkins. I don't know how to explain it, but it was like all this stuff I needed, I finally had when I was listening to their music. Like being in love, I think. It was even more intense than when I was little listening to the radio in the car. What I realized was that this kind of music you needed to actually sit down and close your eyes and let it take you away. You don't just immediately get it, like Linkin Park or pop punk. And it was so much better than any music with catchy singing. Sometimes when no one was home, 
I'd put one of my CDs on the stereo and lay on the couch with the lights off and close my eyes. I imagined I was floating through the music. The fuzzy tone of the rhythm guitars felt warm. And the bass notes pulled me down deeper and deeper like I was sinking through the couch. I felt like I became different colors with each chord change. Some songs had a lot of blue or green, and some were all red and black. Eventually, I wasn't conscious of myself as a separate being. I wasn't a body, just something floating inside of the music. I never wanted to ever leave. Ever. I thought maybe this is what religious people feel like when they say they feel the spirit or whatever. I wanted to get closer to this feeling, be even more inside of it. Instead of praying though, I wanted to play guitar. Colby got an electric guitar for Christmas a little after I had gotten my acoustic. I think she asked for a bass, but her parents didn't know the difference or something. I was jealous because at first I thought I'd be a guitar player. But I really wanted to play along with someone, so I asked my parents for a bass later that year, since the old guitar they gave me was free anyway, and I had proved I was going to keep playing. They kept asking if I was sure I wanted a bass, and I kept begging. The more I thought about it, the more I was sure. It was the heavy, thick, low notes I liked best when I listened to music. When I learn songs, I always get the rhythm much faster than the notes. I know I'm a rhythm player. Plus, I had spent a lot of time looking at pictures of the Smashing Pumpkins bass players. Melissa Alftemar and Darcy Redsky both looked so cool when they were playing with the big instrument. It's like they were commanding the whole band, even though they weren't in the front. And from watching MTV and VH1, I knew bass players were the cool, quiet ones, which is how I want to be. They weren't just trying to get attention the whole time like the singer or guitar player. But unlike the drummer, you could still see them out front and wonder what they were thinking. Melissa even had a sparkly silver bass. That's exactly what I wanted because silver is my favorite color. We got a catalog of instruments in the mail, and when I turned the pages for the basses and saw a sparkly silver one that wasn't even expensive, my heart started racing. It was the coolest thing I had ever seen. All the metal parts, like the knobs, were black, even the big round tuning keys on the top. Black and silver is totally badass. When the box finally came in the mail, I felt like I was going to pee my pants. Seriously. I had to hold it in, but I couldn't stop to go to the bathroom until I had taken off every bit of foam and plastic. It smelled so new and fresh, unlike the old crummy acoustic guitar I'd been playing. The new smell was like a chance at a new life. A new cool life without the dorky kids I ate lunch with. Maybe I could stop being invisible if I was as cool as this bass. Maybe I could walk up to anyone and talk to them and they'd want to be my friend. Maybe I'd grow a few inches and get skinny and tall and start wearing cool punk clothes. I know it doesn't make sense, but that's what it smelled like. A new perfect, cool life. 
I just ran my hands all over it for a long time before I even plucked a note. I was in love. Music is so good because otherwise, life kind of sucks. The life I imagined when I looked at my new bass was the total opposite of what it's really like. Like I said, my parents got divorced when I was pretty little, but my dad still comes over pretty much every day. I guess they're trying to be normal. They're both nurses, but my dad works during the day and my mom works at night. So I just have dinner with him sometimes, but when it's both of them, it drives me nuts. They don't really fight or anything like other people's divorced parents, so I don't really want to complain. I know a lot of kids have it way worse. They talk about nurse stuff so loud I can't hear the TV. Sometimes I imagine having a cool twin to talk to when they're just talking at each other. Maybe we could even have a band together. I just tune out my parents because it sounds like a big jumble to me. ER, ICU, float pool, fifth floor, on call. We had to intubate. This per diem, renal department. Sharon says to me, up to the cath lab, can you even believe what they're doing? I never know what they're talking about, but it never sounds very happy or nice, and it makes me eat really, really, really fast. A lot of the time, they seem to be having two different conversations, and I imagine two people on tiny planets trying to yell across the solar system to each other in different languages. Dapper, dapper. Oga, doga, doga. I don't say much. I try to just watch TV, but every time a person comes on, one of my parents has to comment on what they look like, and I can't even hear what's going on. Look at that outfit. Yuck. What's with the cleavage on these newscasters? You can tell he's a short guy from how big his head looks next to his arms. He probably puts those heel risers in his shoes. You can tell these two women are more than friends. It annoyed me, but I didn't want to yell at them. So I just shoved more french fries in my face than I wanted to to settle my stomach. We usually eat takeout, and I like it, but I know it's making me fat. After I eat, I go online. The dial-up sound is always exciting, and I bounce up and down on the computer bench when it starts. I look at Smashing Pumpkins fan websites and forums. I talk about my favorite albums on there, or just whatever I'm thinking about, and try to get people to comment on my posts, or have an AIM conversation with me, since I don't really talk to anyone at school. I just still feel embarrassed, even though I stopped sitting with the weirdos at lunch. Now I just sit with these two girls named Sarah and Sarah, who I think might be from Worcester, because they have these thick accents and dress more ghetto. They wear thongs and have their hair in these super hair-gelled buns that I usually see on Worcester girls. They don't really seem to care that I dress totally different than them, and they don't draw any attention to themselves or seem to want to have anything to do with anyone else. Plus, they sit on the end of the cafeteria where there's no one. Being invisible works for me. But still, I have this body I can't deal with. I still hate my hips, which only get bigger all the time. The last thing I want is to stand out. But since I've been cursed by my body shape and I can't get myself to exercise enough to fix it, I figure I might as well make people look at the stuff I can control. So I dyed blue streaks in my hair. Or, okay, my mom brought me to the hairdresser and had her do it so I won't ruin my hair. And I wear dozens of bracelets halfway up each arm. But even with my big, huge Jenko jeans hiding my lower body, 
I feel like some fat lady cartoon character with a big, huge butt swinging back and forth when I walk through the halls. Walking has started to hurt, even, because I'm trying not to let my butt move. My legs get all achy after school because of this. I dread even walking from the lunch table to throw out my trash. It's like my legs are asleep or something. You know those dreams when you try to run, but it's like you're underwater and your legs are all heavy or, like, don't work right? That's how it feels. As soon as I get home, it goes away. I don't get it, but for some reason, the more I think about it, the worse it is. Sometimes I even feel like one of my legs is longer than the other, and it's like I'm hobbling. I try to relax and walk around normally, but I end up clenching my teeth and holding my breath. I wish I could just breathe normally. That's another problem. A lot of the time I feel like I won't keep breathing if I don't think. Breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. And it feels like my throat is always clenched tight and I can't relax it no matter how hard I try. It's extra bad when I try to go to sleep. It's always taken me a few hours to fall asleep anyway. Even when I was little, I used to try to name every person I ever met a bunch of times in a row. Mom, Dad, Joanna, Colby, Roya, Colby's mom, Joanna. At sleepovers, I always stayed up the whole night and usually walked around the kids' parents' house, but I was really quiet so I never got caught. At home, sometimes I'd go out into the hall and sit on the top of the stairs for a long time and watch the shadows at the bottom. I swore I could hear something moving around down there. I try not to do that anymore, but sometimes I still get out of bed 20 times in a row and try to make sure the door is locked, and each time I have to unlock it and open the door and lock it and check by twisting the knob on the other side if it's really locked, and then I close the door and lock it again. When I finally drift off, sometimes I wake up gasping and my heart starts beating super duper fast because I actually did stop breathing. That happened more when I was really little, though. I still can't fall asleep, but now instead of naming all the people I know, I lay there and imagine a special machine with these knobs on it I could use to dial down the fat and dial up the muscle on my body. And I tense all my muscles over and over again, imagining it working. At least now I have the Smashing Pumpkins with me when I'm trying to sleep. I can just put on my headphones and drift into the music for an album or two and forget I even have a body. Guitars and basses and drums are all I need. I don't know if I'll ever get in one, but being in a real band must be the best thing in the world. Dear Young Rocker, we need to talk about social skills, but first I need to let you down a little. Walking around the house at night is just your life. Sorry to say, but your insomnia is just a part of having a very active brain. And for you, sleeping pills just make you depressed on top of tired. It's just how your brain is wired, I guess, and part of the anxiety which is deep in your DNA. The best you can do is to not worry about not sleeping. And try to write down all of those incredible ideas that come to you at night. You'll actually get some cool song ideas out of your insomnia. Easier said than done, I know. But... Acceptance of anxiety is kind of the best thing you can do for it. When you say, okay, this is just me, 
your anxiety actually loses a little of its power. The more you try to fight it by attempting to force yourself to relax and sleep, the more it will fight back. So get out of bed, work on that song or that story, and maybe you'll feel good enough about your work to go back to bed later. Now for the body stuff. Let's talk about that awful feeling when you walk around with those heavy, tense legs that won't relax. So that's also anxiety. And eating too much when you're around your loud-talking parents? Yeah, anxiety again. None of this is in your control. It's your nervous system driving your body. So please don't beat yourself up for gaining some weight or not exercising enough. You play field hockey and snowboard and horseback ride, you're perfectly active enough. It's totally normal for a body to change shapes in all directions, especially in middle school. And the stress you experience at home raises your stress hormone levels in your body, which can cause your metabolism to do weird things like hold on to more weight or constantly crave carbs and fat, which is what it does for you. That's why you eat so many bowls of cereal a day. And to be honest, your cereal addiction is something you'll fight your whole life. Don't look in my cupboard. Anyway, for others with anxiety, they might not be able to hardly eat anything at all or gain any weight, even if they want to. It's not just your body that's changing, though. Your brain is changing, too, which is why all of this is so confusing. Puberty does super strange and uncomfortable things to us, and you're still in the beginning stages of the whole mess. Hold on tight, kid. Things are only going to get weirder for a bit. I know you feel bad about your not cool, curvy body shape, but guess what? Here I am in the future, and I see ads for exercise programs and jeans and even surgery that women want to make their butts look bigger, although somehow simultaneously be skinny everywhere else, even on their thighs. It doesn't make any sense. You can't look to current trends to judge your own body. They constantly change and are usually unobtainable for just about anyone anyway. That's the whole point of it, to make everyone feel bad so they buy more stuff. I know you want to look punk and you think that means skinny, but the real punk thing to do with your body is to say, screw all that, I don't care what image I'm supposed to have. You can all just deal with me the way I am. Your cellulite is just as punk as Johnny Ramone's weird face. Plus, there are so many cool as hell and not at all skinny rockers, and I can't wait till you discover those heroes so you can stop comparing yourself to the plastic people on MTV. We'll talk more about bodies next time, though. But let's talk about friends right now. As much as you are embarrassed by your sixth grade lunch table companions, you'll find out later that the dorks of the world, the people who aren't worried about looking cool, that's who you actually want to be around as an adult. People who are loyal to their friends and don't care about what the cooler people think of them. You'll find out there's actually no one more intolerable and uncool than a grown-up who's still trying to be cool. Coolness isn't actually currency that matters, even though it feels like the most important thing in the world to you right now. But that's just because you're lonely and think you'll be more attractive to other kids as a friend if you dress and act and talk a certain way. And that might have something to do with your parents picking apart people's appearance and outfits on TV and when you're out in public, too. I promise most people aren't judging each other so harshly. They're mostly worried about if they look good or not, just like you. Those super critical opinions are why you feel so embarrassed by your friends, too. You do actually like them because they're goofy and creative just like you are. 
because of these lame opinions you've inherited, you're actually further isolating yourself by trying too hard. I understand though, you're insecure about how you look and know you're different, and it feels impossible to connect with other kids without measuring up on this extreme attractiveness scale you imagine. You don't yet realize that being nice and genuine works just as good to make friends actually better because you've never had that modeled for you. Your parents don't say nice things to each other or about each other or about anyone else. Neither of them dates or has friends, and you don't have any siblings who bring friends over to meet or see them interact with each other. You grew up with a lot less people in your life than the average person, so you haven't had any training in social skills. Plus, everyone in middle school is super self-conscious too. Even those popular kids are probably worried about how they look. So here's the tough love part. Let's go back to one of those moments in the cafeteria when you felt embarrassed by your friends. You could have simply laughed off the antics of your lunch gang and talked to other kids you wanted to be friends with instead of putting your head down on the table and looking aggravated. Because dissing other people definitely doesn't make you look like good friend material either. You were just too focused on how supposedly bad they were making you look. I know that your ego comes from your insecurity, but you have to let it go anyway. You think you have to have some super funny or cool thing to say or look a certain way to be accepted. But honestly, it would have been as simple as turning to the kid on your right and saying, geez, this lunch is out of control, huh? Did you start that history project yet? When you're older, you'll find out that it's actually a pretty big relief when you stop trying to dress and talk and act a certain way to make people think of you as cool. Just putting on whatever boring normal clothes your mom bought you and being nice to everyone will leave you feeling a lot lighter than when you were strapped with a heavy burden of coolness. You'll actually even revel in not looking like someone who plays rock music someday and feel drawn to others who just do their own thing too. You're gonna struggle with this for many, many more years to be honest. But once you realize that friends you have to be cool enough for, or that working to be part of the cool kid club is not worth it, and that you enjoy the company of one person more than a group anyway, you'll make peace with being the solitary, cat-loving only child you've always been. Being nice to yourself and others will take you where coolness never will. And trust me, you're already cool as heck. Cool enough to be in a band for sure, but I won't spoil the next chapter. Love you, kid. P.S. We say indigenous people and not Indians anymore, but you're in 2001, so it's okay, I guess. Next time on Dear Young Rocker, young Chelsea starts thinking about boys. Well, boys to be in a band with, at least. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis Productions and is executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. It was created and written by me, Chelsea Erson. I also wrote the theme song. Production, sound design, and additional music are done by myself, Sean Kahalen, and James Bridges, who is also the audio engineer. Make sure to subscribe if you already haven't on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave a review if you like the show. You can follow me on Twitter at RockerDeer or Instagram at DearYoungRocker. And for more on my show and other upcoming shows, events, and merch, follow Double Elvis on Instagram.
Dear Young Rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis Productions. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.